Just a quick note before we get started, I state multiple times in this upcoming podcast that Lou tipped Fiji against PNG last week. This is not actually correct, and Lou got this tip just as wrong as I did, and now on to the episode. with a fortnight off last week, New Zealand playing and beating Tonga. So are they better for the run here? Do they come in and throw down the challenge to these Jillaroos who are on quite the winning streak? RP Nichols, long to Funga for the corner! Leana Tafunga puts New Zealand in the lead! Seven minutes to play and the Kiwi Ferns are 200 metres in 25 seconds. Chapman wrapped up. There are no easy metres for Australia. Racine McGregor screaming at her team, trying to get them over the line here. Sergis. Maybe two more plays. Brigginshaw kicks. What's she done? Ali Brigginshaw. No chaser within sight. It's picked up by RP Nichols. They beat Australia in 2016. Lean time since. And seven years later, they've done it again. The Kiwi Ferns come from behind under a delighted Ricky Henry to snap a seven-test losing streak against the Jillaroos and beat Australia 12 points to six. Welcome to another episode of Rugby League Therapy and well done to the Kiwi Ferns there getting their first victory over the Jillaroos in seven years um, in what was a, a really tight affair. Um, fantastic to see someone um, someone else uh, beat the Jillaroos. I know that sounds really strange coming from Australian here but um, you know it's always good to keep it competitive on the other side of the draw. Uh, we'll talk about some results in a second but Lou welcome mate how was your week? Yeah, it's, it was a good weekend. Uh, I think I watched a lot, a lot of footy, including the Rugby Union World Cup final. I don't know if we'll talk about it, but it was not the best game. And I think, you know, internationally, of course, Rugby Union's huge, but I think that game justified why I'd rather watch Rugby League controversy. But, yeah, how was your weekend? Yeah, it was a good weekend. Um, I just... There's only a few games on, and I'm just like chomping at the bit already. And, and it's such a depressing thought knowing that it's still only October. It's not until March, like it's five months away until we see some like regular NRL footy. I, I don't know if I, I don't know if I've got five months in me, mate. I, I've gone off cricket. I, I don't know. And, and the Formula One is about to end. It's, it's it's not a good time to be a sports fan right now in Australia, I reckon. But um, anyway, so. Tonight, uh, or today I should say, we are going to go over some news uh, for the week. Um, as I said earlier, we're going to discuss some international rugby league results uh, that came through on the weekend. And we are going to do a rugby league mastermind. And if we've got time, we're going to tackle some um, off-season challenges, uh, you know, in preceding what we spoke about last week of the first five clubs. Uh, but coming to the immediate results, we had Kangaroos far too dominant over a very sluggish New Zealand in Melbourne. Uh, they overcame the Kangaroos 36 to 18. Any surprises there, Lou, or was it what you expected? Well, if you tuned in last week, I was quite bullish on the Kiwis and thought, yeah, they'll do it. I was very wrong. You check the game, check the result. I think that my biggest disappointment, and you hit the nail on the head, um, sluggish the harker i think i told i think i said to you during the weekend the harker it was just not as passionate as the previous week where samoa and new zealand were like crying during the anthems and they were just so fired up uh jerome hughes didn't even wear his headgear there was so much going on this week this weekend it was sort of just didn't really have the, the same sort of feeling if you know what i mean and they they play pretty reasonable New Zealand. I just think they're probably they're still a bit away, aren't they, from challenging Australia? Um, and that's without Payne Haas and Tino, which is a really yeah. Scary. Uh, and yeah, I don't know. We I mean, you picked Australia, so I guess it's a kudos to you on that one. 
Well, the optimist in me says that neither team would have, you know, showed their best, showed all their cards this week, given the fact that they were guaranteed to be in the Pacific Championship final uh, this this upcoming week. I actually, as someone, and, and this is a real dilemma because, like, I'm a, I'm a huge expansionist, huge international league fan, and I love the fact that I'm Australian. I've always endorsed being Australian. Uh, but I kind of, and, and don't shoot me here, anyone listening, I kind of want to see Australia lose once in a while. Um, and seeing New Zealand lose this game, I'm not too deterred, to tell the truth. Maybe I'm just thinking of the 2008 World Cup when a similar scoreline happened, um, I think, to open the World Cup when the Kangaroos were far too dominant for the Kiwis. And the Kiwis ended up playing the Kangaroos in the final and winning that game. So I don't write off New Zealand for this final, especially given the fact that it's in Hamilton. We'll talk about that later in the episode. Uh, but I'm not too concerned with this loss. Um, did you have a chance to watch uh, the England versus Tonga game, which England won 14-4? to Yeah, so fortunately I was travelling for the majority of this game, but I caught the last quarter of the game where pretty much the game was still quite tight in the balance and just Tonga, there was, they were just lacking any sort of fluidity in their play and, again, lacklustre, just didn't really have any punch in their play and uh, it was a bit disappointing to see, I guess, towards the end, uh, Adam Fenoblade kind of wanted to start fights rather than play footy. But, yeah, I think the, I think the Brits... I think, oh, sorry, not Bruce, the Englishman deserved the win based on. Also, I, I didn't see this coming. I thought Tonga would actually win one of these games, and England, I think, showed pretty good signs, actually. I'm, I'm quite impressed. Yeah, I just think that, I mean, it was a, not to use the same adjective here, it was a, as a sluggish affair again, uh, but it, it kind of was expected given the rain up in Huddersfield in the north of England. It was, it was a. A bit of a sludge fest, if I'm being honest with you, but the, just a just complete lack of any discipline from Tonga, um, and it it was a real dour affair. The slow the ball, uh, sorry, the, the play of the ball was really slow. Um, I know Christian Wolf came out the week before and said that you know their average play of the ball speed was four seconds, whilst England was three, and that England were getting away with it slowing down the ruck, and and Tonga weren't so. Maybe he's sort of instructed Tonga to slow down the ruck, and the amount of six against, particularly in that first half, and the and the the drop balls, the there's just no direction to the Tonga side at all. It, they were exponentially worse than what they played in the first half. I just hope that they can salvage, um, you know, game three. I think it's at Headingley. I, I could be wrong. I'm pretty sure it is at Headingley though this weekend, uh, because Tonga, um, as we spoke about in the previous few episodes, um, first ever. Tier two nation to tour the southern, uh, the northern hemisphere, um, and the place that they hold right now is a proof of concept uh, phase in terms of can a tier two nation uh, draw a, a profit and a crowd by touring England? Because if you know if this falls apart and the crowds don't show up for this final game and the RFL loses money on it, etc., then you know Samoa is a threat of not touring next year, which I don't think would happen. I think um, I think just Tonga just very very disappointing in that last game is a slow dour affair and yeah even the most ardent fans such as myself struggled to sort of get to the end there unfortunately but hopefully they turn around this weekend um, just on the last game uh, we've got PNG uh, and I said PNG by twenty last week if you remember I got this one completely wrong PNG sixteen Fiji forty three now you said Fiji for this one so no surprises for you. Did I say Fiji? Wow. Um, can't believe I said Fiji, but there you go. Uh, let me just recall why I even said Fiji. Do, do you have – I know this sounds ridiculous, but anyways, congrats to Fiji. Shoot me, there was too many footy. This was way too much sport on the weekend for me to watch all of this, and, uh, yeah, congrats to Fiji. All right, this brings us to our first story uh, or article in the news of the week. Uh, so IMG, who obviously a uh, sports management firm, a very big global sports management firm, have partnered with the RFL. This happened a couple of years ago over in England and, and France, that is, um, to basically try and rescue any semblance of uh, the Super League in terms of, you know, being able to sort of return to their former glory in terms of a, a powerful competition. 
Uh, and the system is that they graded all 35 professional rugby league clubs. Um, so I'll read through the article rather than myself trying to explain it to any listeners out there. Um, and then uh, we'll, we'll sort of transition to an article in regards to the social media aspect and what would happen if it was applied to NRL clubs. So bear with me. I'll try and fly through this as quickly as I can. Uh, so this is an article in the Rugby League Express this morning. So seven clubs have been rated grade A one year before the new uh, club grading system in uh, Super League to determine who plays in 2025 onwards. Indicative grades were released last week for every professional club, giving each an idea of how they score across the five categories of on-field performance, fandom, finances, stadium, and community. Although these have no bearing on the 2024 season, from the start of the 2025 campaign, top tier participation will only be given to grade A clubs, plus the highest ranked grade B clubs. These will then be reviewed at the end of each season with the 12 best scoring clubs making the cut for the following Super League campaign. Top of the class are Leeds, who scored 17.49 points out of 20, while six other clubs earned 15 points or more to achieve grade A status. A further 17 clubs scored between 7.5 and 15, earning grade B status, which allows a place in Super League only if they are amongst the top 12 clubs in the rankings. Current Super League clubs, Castleford, who have challenged their grading, and London Broncos are 13th and 24th, respectively. Unless they improve their scores in the coming year, they'll drop out of the top division for 2025. Meanwhile, championship clubs Toulouse and Wakefield are 10th and 11th, putting them on course to return to the Super League, while Lee, 12th, and Bradford, 14th, are on the cusp. In the short term, the battle between clubs uh, to be placed in the top 12 when the grades are released will be key each year. But in the long term, Rugby League Commercial and partner IMG, who are leading the reimagining of Rugby League strategy, of which clubs grading is a key component, want all clubs to be aiming for grade A Super League status. So the article does obviously go on, but I'll just read you uh, who's ranked where. So the... The seven grade A clubs guaranteed a spot in the Super League in 2025 are Leeds, Wigan, St. Helens, Catalans in fourth, Warrington in fifth, sixth is Hull KR, ahead of Hull FC in seventh. Hull FC just making grade A by 0.05 points. And then topping the group uh, B is, oh, category B, Salford in eighth, Huddersfield in ninth, Toulouse in tenth, Wakefield 11th, Lee in 12th, 13th is Castleford, 14th is Bradford, 15th is Featherstone, 16th is Witness, 17th is York, 18th Newcastle, 19th Barrow, 20th Halifax, and then we go down to 24 to get to the London Broncos. Uh, I am a big fan of this system. I think that um, the, the competition that is the Super League has been brought down by clubs not spending their whole salary cap. Um, clubs like London aren't ready for Super League in my mind. Have you got any thoughts on on this one as a, a person who actually lives in England, Lou? Yeah, so just trying to get my head around this because it's it's a lot. It's a lot to to take in, and I guess London they came sixth this season, right? And they so fifth, but they went on a magic run through the playoffs and defeated Toulouse, who I think you know I would have loved for them to lose to have another crack at Super League. Um, post-COVID um, restrictions and so forth. Now, looking at the rankings, I think my first thought is the Broncos being 24th, literally the lowest-ranked B-grade team as far as I'm aware. Uh, yeah, definitely. That's not a good sign for, for them. So how does this work? So you've got the all-A teams, so top seven, and then you've got the, the highest place B team, which would at the moment be Salford. Is that potentially the new Super League? Yeah, that's that's correct. One thing that or a couple of things that did really count against London is you can get a maximum of it's either two or three points for your catchment area. And your catchment area has quite a unique way of, of grading. It's like your municipality area divide around your stadium, divided by the amount of other rugby league teams in that area. Uh, so London, in theory, have the whole of London, but the fact that they're in Wimbledon, they only got that Wimbledon area, so they're only given a 1.5 points when they could have gotten an extra point or so for the catchment area. And one of the best things about London, and I'm, I don't have a lot of positive things to say about London, but one of the really positive things about London is that the majority of the squad, which has just made the Super League, 
are from south of the Midlands. So they've genuinely developed these players, uh, which uh, some of these other clubs, like uh, Salford, for example, don't even have an academy, but London has an academy, but they're not given any points for actually having their own academy developing genuine Londoners and Southerners to play the sport. So that does count against it. Um, but that's, yeah, that's yeah. basically how it works. Just on that, I mean, like, NRL fans can be very excited about uh, Kai Pierce Paul. Or, yeah, hopefully, because Kai, yeah, let's call him KPP. He's um, a big boy that's going to debut for Newcastle this coming season. He's actually a London boy. And, you know, the demographics of the London area, um, it's it's a melting pot, clearly. And there's a lot of big boys that, that can play rugby league, but just, yeah. Um, the potential is unreal if i'm being honest in london you, you you do have a number of different types of nationalities and bodies and so forth that can play rugby league there's no doubt about that and oh yeah i'm looking at this squad right now they, they don't really have imports like you know years gone by where they would be relying on craig gower and um that type so i think it is disappointing though that, that they could only rustle up an and eight that that's pretty it's, that's pretty poor it's, it's a it's terrible it's shocking to be honest with you and they don't deserve to be in the super league and, and i I, th I thought that when they won promotion i would love more than anyone else to see a strong london club but in reality we haven't seen that since their partnership with the harlequins um and slightly before that we saw that with richard francis virgin group owning them as well but since then yeah you can slap the london moniker on them but the reality is they're they're a Wimbledon team, um, and you can correct me here if I got my geography wrong, Lou. But that's in the northwest of London, and uh, they southwest, south southwest. Sorry, and they will struggle to get four-figure crowds, in my opinion. And I can't see them. There's no incentive for them to field a fully professional club in the Super League, knowing that the golf is too big for them to continue to play in the Super League in 2025. So these grades, these scores are over three years. So that's why Lee might look low and might sort of be out of out of the Super League for now. But the reality is that they just won the Challenge Cup and, um, you know, I think they'll be scoring a hell of a lot better next year. But London, um, yeah, I, I, I really didn't want to see them beat Toulouse. Um, they beat Toulouse with respect to all of the players, Corey Norman and Dean Fare. Very, very pivotal in that win. Two players that will not be at the club next year. So having promotion reliant on a grand final and just one game is a very risky proposition because in reality, you've got a very weak club administratively now playing in the Super League, whereas if Toulouse made it through, I think they got a budget about 3 million euros or something like that, uh, and they would have been a hell of a lot stronger. And that thought was vindicated by the fact that Toulouse uh, – Actually, in the Super League, if you go on the current gradings, they finished 10th. So if they were applying it this year, or next year, I should say, then Toulouse would be in anyway. Um, so London, yeah, shocking stuff, really. But um, anything more to add on that one? That's a good point, actually. They did have, I didn't realise they had a few ring-ins, such as uh, Corey Norman, who's probably still got it. Um, yeah, it's, I guess, I guess, in an ideal world, Let's say in an ideal world, London Broncos have to be a top eight team in the UK for this thing to succeed. They've got the biggest market, untapped potential. There's, you know, most people in the UK do work in London. Like if you actually, it's, it's London and Manchester. And then there's obviously smaller cities like, I'm going to say smaller, but like not as populated, say Birmingham and Leeds and Newcastle. But the big money is in the hub of the UK, which is London, and then a bit lower down, we Manchester. But to to not have a strong presence in in rugby, like in London with rugby league, kind of shows where rugby league's at. If I'm being honest, and you know, I'm looking at the list as, as just a to underline it. You've got Leeds, Wigan, and St Helens, who you know they're the traditional big dogs of, of the UK. And correct me if I'm wrong, they're the only three teams that have won a super league um oh, uh, Bradford, 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 I think. Northern. yeah 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 so that's that's it um more 
more traditionalist in those top three. And I'm glad to see the Catalans, uh, Dragons in that top four and potentially Toulouse knocking down the door um, to get in that eight. That's the only real positives uh, that, that the two French clubs can expand this because there's there's a lot of issues at the moment we're trying to get for say for example the super league grand final it's not on free to air in the uk so not everyone is that keen on getting um a pay tv subscription to watch two games a week it's just there's a lot that it, it's it's getting harder and harder to access and one of the easiest ways would be to get a London team to get to take some of the market share, but it's right now just hope and pray, I think. Yeah, uh, it's worth noting that I believe that every game will be t- all six Super League games will be televised from next year onwards. Uh, they'll be produced by Sky Sports and a new free to air TV deal, probably with Channel 4, um, to probably air more games than they did this year uh, will happen. There'll be video refs at every game. I don't think that the Super League has a quality of efficient to be able to sort of deal with that. So fans are in for a shock uh, being able to look at the video ref every single try that scored. Uh, Bunker style uh, and IMG, uh, there's whispers that IMG are very, very close to having negotiated a TV deal to show every home Catalan game in France as well. So, uh, and any games that aren't shown on free to air or Sky Sport will be available on a Super League live streaming app that people can subscribe to. So that is changing. That's a big step forward for the game, I think. Um, Actually, that's actually huge. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Keeping to this subject, uh, Adrian Prasenko from the City Morning Herald has uh, actually done the same thing with with uh, NRL clubs, but uh, isolating the fandom aspect of the grading system that we were just referring to. Um, so if we did the same exercise with NRL clubs and had to cut out the bottom five uh, and isolated just fandom, such as, you know, obviously social media, uh, which clubs would actually miss out? Uh, the clubs that would miss out, uh, the West Tigers... Uh, Yeah, West Tigers, who have 573,000 social media followers. Canberra, 550,000. Cronulla, 535,000. Newcastle, 534,000. Manly, 531,000. Dragons, 453,000. And the Dolphins, 311,000. Did I chop the West Tigers off there when I didn't have to? I may have have done so, yeah. So the West Tigers will scrape in. My apologies. But um, is it surprising to see... That the dragons have the second least amount of social media followers. I would expect them to be higher. Agreed. They are a historic club. That probably just, you know, feeds into the whole the least successful clubs happen to have the least amount of supporters. If they were doing well, they'd get they'd have way more followers. Like they are a well supported club, just no one wants to be associated with them at the moment. To um to isolate just the four clubs that are over a million social media followers, we've got Brisbane on 1.6 million, Melbourne on 1.4 million, South Sydney on 1.2 million, and New Zealand Warriors on 1.1 million. So obviously what I'm seeing there is none of those, with the exception of South Sydney, the other teams largely have at least had a market to themselves for a large part of their existence. Uh, whereas the other teams that are, especially ones of suburban names like Canterbury, sort of eat into each other's global appeal because this, this isn't just numbers from Australia. This is numbers from all of Facebook, Instagram, et cetera. So it could be English fans, even America fans, uh, et cetera. Does it surprise you that those four clubs are the only four clubs over a million, Brisbane, Melbourne, South and Warriors? Melbourne surprised me because... Well, I'll just contradict myself, I guess, with the drags. I don't think Melbourne are that well supported, if you know what I mean. They they don't they've always had a lot of success, but in terms of like uh yeah, it's probably just the success and they've got the momentum of that. Yeah, the other teams don't surprise me. Um when did the WA get so many social was it was that 
what has increased been majority this year because I can imagine it being pre this year without Webby and so forth. Um, yeah, nowhere near, right? I think it helps having the moniker of New Zealand there. Um, Melbourne as a moniker, people, you know, I, I don't follow AFL at all, but I guess if you force me to choose a team, it would be the Sydney Swans, even though I couldn't give a shit about them. Um, now, picture someone that doesn't have that sort of like a hate AFL attitude, like, yeah, I'm from Sydney. They've got a team here. I'll be a Sydney Swans fan. I'll click like on that social media page. Um, so there's a lot of non-active NRL fans in Melbourne. They just follow the Storm because it's the only Melbourne Storm team. Um, I suspect anyway. All right, let's move on to our uh, next story of the week. Uh Lou, you've got some strong opinions on this one. Uh, North Sydney Bears, still uh, around and about here. North Sydney Bears, a real powerful weapon in bid to win the game's 18th licence. Uh, so Tonga, Samoa, Cook Islands, Fiji and parts of New Zealand, the, Bear have, the Bears have made a huge bid that will incorporate the entire Pacific region into their 18th team. Uh, so being based out of North Sydney, they want to partner with the Pacifica team. Uh <laughs> Can it can it work? I'll be brief. This has just been going on for far too long. I mean, that doesn't make any sense to me. And and full disclosure, I actually am a North Sydney local. That's that's originally where, or it's the majority of my life where I've lived. And yeah, it's just not possible to have a, a rugby league team there. It's it's an old stadium. The, I mean, you could incorporate Central Coast now what it seems like they're going to start incorporating uh, large parts of um, Australasia to kind of get their bit off the ground. That just shows that they, that is not a viable option. I guess that's all I need to say on that. What about you? Do yeah, you, want to, do you actually want to see the Bears back? I don't mind if they're Perth or Christchurch. I do not want to see – yeah, as I said, I, I don't want – I would – be okay with one game per year as a back to North Sydney Oval game. Anything more than one, you're taking away from an area that's designed to be an expansion area. If a team like Perth and Christchurch got the bid in the first place, I think they'll they'll bring a lot of fans over. They they bring the colours and the history, etc. Um, but at the same time, you don't want them playing three games in North Sydney, leaving only sort of nine games or whatever for played per year in Perth because. Um, there's been years in the past where three NRL games have been played in Perth. Um, so that's only six more. So you can't have them meeting into a new expansion. So if they're prepared to financially back it and become the Perth Bears or the Christchurch Bears and play only one game out of North Sydney and dedicate their junior nursery to that area, then I'll be a fan of it. But outside of that, not really a fan of it. I'm happy to, you know, for them to be nostalgic sort of like Sunday at, Newtown at Henderson Park for the beer foot, beer footy and food festival, that kind of thing. But I'm not against it. I just think it needs to be done the right way. And a Pacifica team, no, nah, I, I just can't can't see it happening. I mean, the West Tigers spread themselves too thin, and um, and that it just doesn't work. You, you need you need roots in basically a, a single place for me. Um, actually, this is a perfect segue to our next article or story of the week. All right, this article is West Tigers make new pitch uh, for Michael Checker. Uh, he's obviously the coach of Lebanon Rugby League, but more importantly, with respect to Lebanon Rugby League, the coach of the Argentinian Rugby Union side, the Pumas, and former coach of the Wallabies. Uh, so the embattled West Tigers are preparing to give former Wallabies coach Michael Checker all the power in the club in a major move ahead of Benji Marshall's first season. Um, before I give my thoughts on this one, I don't want to taint yours. What are your thoughts on this one? Can I just ask just, just a very quick question? Why is Michael Checker? Um, okay, I know he's got runs on the board with Lebanon, but has he what other, what experience does he have in rugby league beyond that? Yeah, I'm not sure what the pedigree here is. He's always been close to the sport of rugby league um and and so is eddie jones in fact one of the criticisms of eddie jones was that 
is some people in at the ARU or Rugby Australia criticised him for being more of a fan of rugby league than rugby union. And someone even came out and said that if Souths offered him a head coaching job, he'd run away from the uh, from the Wallabies in a heartbeat. So while it's not quite Eddie Jones territory, Michael Check has always been there or thereabout. His nephew is Adam Dewey, I think. Is it his nephew? Yeah. Yeah, so Adam Dewey is his nephew, and I mean, don't want to stereotype, but I guess the fact that Adam Dewey didn't even want to play for the Wallabies, um, whilst yeah, he's your prepared to pay for the, the head coach of the Wallabies, yeah, he'd rather play for the Titans. There's just a lot. Of, okay, sorry, I think we went off. I went off wrong, wrong path. But yeah, I guess he actually had a really good. I know they lost to England, but. Czech has had a good run with the Pumas as well. I'm just so confused why he's been carp- magic carpet rided into quite good positions into rugby league potentially, and he always seems to be rumored. So I'm just I'm just so confused why this would be a good call. I mean Eddie Jones, I can actually see because Eddie, I have re- I listened to Gus Gould talk about Eddie. Eddie basically said he would prefer to let NRL. Uh, clubs produce backline players and then the Wallabies just poach them because that's the only way they can produce good backline players, just let NRL do it. So that's Eddie Jones straight from Gus Gould's mouth um, point of view. But I've never seen, like even during Checkers' Wallaby days, he wasn't actively trying to poach rugby league players that used to play rugby union, if you know what I mean. So I'm not sure what he's offering that someone who actually has been in rugby league for the majority of their life but the tigers seem to be trying all sorts of things that don't make sense to me they try rookie head coaches uh, rookie football managers now and don't really seem to acknowledge the fact that they've had gun youth players come through for so long star at other clubs that's where the issue is that's where the biggest problem lies and i just don't see a checker benji combination reviving this club uh, i'm being harsh on the tigers to be honest because like they've they actually have made good signs in the last few years but they don't seem to be doing the conventional thing that gets clubs off the ground yeah actually was we're on the topic of the west tigers and anyone listening allow me to indulge in reading this full article here i'll be as quick as i can but um I think that this provides a bit of context into the dynamics of the um, of the club themselves. There's a great article by Roy Masters in Fairfax uh, during the week, which is called West Tigers Financial Shortfall Covered for Now, but that may not always be the case. And it's almost impossible for an NRL club to go broke today, given that the ARL Commission effectively pays the players' salaries and provides $5 million in cash to each club for administration expenses. But the West Tigers have finished the 2023 season in $1.4 million debt. It won't push the wooden spinners into bankruptcy, especially not whilst they are backed by the rich West Ashfield Licensed Club, which can fund any deficit. But if the ARLC were to suddenly reduce the annual grants to NRL clubs or West Ashfield's directors were to lose control of the board and the money dried up, football club would retreat to where it was nearly 50 years ago. Back then, when the West Magpies played at Lidcombe Oval and club president Bill De King Carson was at war with West Ashfield Board, the annual grant from the licensed club would have funded the salary of just one top player. The discord was such that when the Magpies secured a major sponsor from the lawnmower company Victor in the late 1970s, the West Ashfield Board cut the annual grant by the amount of that sponsorship. Uh, the arguments over funding continued when West merged with Balmain to form West Tigers in 1999, with the two foundation clubs having equal numbers and the then 10 director board of the NRL's new joint venture. Uh, any call for cash to meet the shortfall remained, sorry, required Balmain and West to contribute equally. However, Balmain resisted this because they were broke. Uh, they were able to stall the inevitable because they dominated the West Tigers board via the representative of West League's club at Campbelltown, who traditionally voted with the side of the Tigers. So West Tigers operated with a few, uh, sorry, with fewer funds than any other NRL club because Balmain couldn't even contribute. The Tigers were coached by Tim Cheens from 2003 to 2011, and though he may have worked for less back then, he received a reasonable payout when he left this year after a second stint as head coach. His $1 million settlement is the major contributor to the West Tigers' $1.4 million deficit, along with the termination payments 
to his partner, who worked in administration, and the club's former recruitment manager, Warren McDonald. Those payments are unusual for West Tigers, like all clubs who, like all clubs, are expected to post a surplus next season. That, however, assumes club grants remain the same and projects such as the Las Vegas Extravaganza remain cost revenue neutral. This brings us to Tuesday night's West Ashfield board meetings, which followed fan dissatisfaction uh, that culminated in an online petition calling for an independent review into the West Tigers. The West Ashfield Commission report, prepared by former NRL Chief Financial Officer Tony Crawford and businessman Gary Barnier, uh, is near completion with Crawford saying, we took the board of West Ashfields through the process, explaining our thinking, uh, and then we'll, that we'll then move to other key stakeholders such as Balmain and West Tigers. The final report should be completed inside the month. It is likely that the report will recommend the addition of an independent director to the present seven-person board, which West Ashfields currently dominated by an entity known as Holmes Barnes Group. Uh, however, there will need to be safeguards to ensure that West Ashfield doesn't cede control and therefore refused to fund future deficits in the event that the Commission uh, cuts back on grants. One director, speaking anonymously because the discussions have been confidential, said that West Ashfields would never sell off the farm but would choose to carve out essential reserve powers, take a back seat and allow directors with uh, specialist skills to make football decisions. To be fair, West Tigers would have broke even this year if they reduced their ramped up spending in the southwest of Sydney. Uh, this region is their long-term source of players and fans. It is therefore their future, especially if the mega-rich West Club at Campbelltown rejoins the West Tigers board. So that article does a great job explaining the, the surface-level dynamics of this club, but there's a lot going on. Have you got any comments on that? I mean, we could be here all day with deep diving. I think there's just way too much going on. They They need almost like a complete restructure from if you know what i mean like that's yeah what, what, what would you what would you say would be if you had if you had to do one thing for that entire club what would it be yeah it's a hard one because when they merged balmain did have the power they were the bigger club and that's why they have the moniker of the tigers it is west tigers um but shortly after that Balmain went broke, essentially, and um, I remember, you know, as a Magpies fan at the time and looking back as an adult, I know Tommy Rodonigas wasn't the best coach at club level, let's be honest about it, Wayne Pierce was a better coach, but I was like, well, why don't the Tigers get all the power here? Um, but the reality is that it kind of kind of mimics the, um, the St. George Illawarra uh, uh, dynamics and the fact that the Illawarra region shared, provided all the juniors. Um, the difference is that, St. George still a reasonably strong financial for that club, whereas Balmain are absolutely broke. I mean, the project at Roselle's set to sort of finally complete one day and, and that will help. But um, it's it's tempting to say pick an area and stick with it, like be based at Campbelltown forever and all your games, et cetera. But I don't think it really works because a large portion of the West Tigers fans are genuinely Balmain fans. Um, at least pick two home grounds then, six at Campbelltown, six at um, six at Leichhardt, but then you know, are those stadiums capable of holding first-class rugby league NRL games for many years to come? Not, not right now. So the New South Wales government needs to, you know, renovate it. So there's so much at play. Uh, I don't know. How do you spend fifty million dollars on a centre of excellence at Concord and then play out of a, a Leichhardt Oval, which had a local rugby union game, a high school game, where the the fans literally fell on the field because you know, the bars couldn't hold them. So it's, it's, it's yeah. a bit of a contrast uh, in that regard. But it, you said it yourself. We could be here all day uh, deep diving into that. Uh, so let's move on to everyone's favourite topic, which is Rugby League Mastermind. All right, so... First one is born in 1990. Okay, so what's that? 33? Yeah, 33. Okay, next. North Sydney Bears Jr. Ooh, that's a good one. Oh, I'm tempted okay. to say Cody Walker. Um, Next. 
Sorry, was that another one? Next. Oh. Uh, brother also was a Bears junior. Next. My best friend was also a Bears junior. Next. All three of us went to the same school. Next. Played for five clubs. Five clubs? 33. Next. Next, yep. Yeah. I debuted for New Zealand in 2009 and played 27 games. Kieran Ford. Nah. I'm wrong. Is it? Yeah. So the last two tips would have been, well, two hints would have been I play in the halves. Uh, um, 282 games and last one would have been I'm a grandfather <laughs> nice yeah I would have got it on grandfather that's for sure because uh, I, I, I said to you before it was like it was either going to be really easy if you knew Bears Junior with a brother because there's not many of them but if you didn't know that it would have been really really hard and di- I guess do you want to Bonus point, do you want to hear that best friend and they all went to school together? Well, I know the brother's Liam is the yep. best friend, Mitchell Pierce. Yes, good, good point. So background story, they um, I think Mitch Pierce went to Bark and played rugby union and it was actually Kieran Foran who, who said to Mitch, come to Marist. It's across the road from North Sydney Oval and there they they. North Sydney, North, the Morris North Sydney team, I don't think it's traditionally that strong because they play against like the more inner West and the big boys out there. And uh, well, when you have the foreign brothers and Mitch Pierce in your lineup in a high school team, you could only imagine the type of footy they were playing against high school kids. Would have been great to watch, but yeah, it was a, it was a nostalgic pick based on what we talked about before quickly with the, um, the Bears coming back. They actually would have some good juniors if they could somehow keep them yeah all right let's move on to our next uh topic which is a continuation of what we spoke about last week which is an article in fairfax saying uh, if you want to avoid a panthers four pete here's what each club needs to do in the off season so we did the first five clubs in this list um last week so let's move on to the next one uh they've got the new zealand warriors so the first thing that the new zealand warriors need to do is to welcome back Roger Tuvasashek. RTS's return from rugby union is a huge boost for the club on the back of an impressive 2023 campaign, which saw the Kiwis fall in, sort of fall back in love with the club. Number two, figure out where Roger plays. So RTS won't dethrone Charles Nickel Cookstad in the Warriors' backline, is expected to play on the wing or in the centres. It'll be hard leaving Marcello Montoya or Dallin Watani Zelesnia out based on 2023 form. Number three, decide on a 5 8 so they need to choose between Tamari Martin and Luke Metcalf and to throw um, another dilemma in there, Chanel Harris-DeVita returns from a one-year sabbatical. Number four, maintain Warriors fever. Up the wires, the club needs to continue the momentum built in 2023 as they slowly close the rather large gap on rugby union. And lastly, number five, that the Warriors need to do in the offseason is to retain DWZ or Dallin Watanese-Lesniak because he come, becomes a free agent from November 1. Uh, so recapping, welcome back RTS, figure out where he plays, decide on a 5-8, maintain the uh, momentum and fever, and retain DWZ. Is that all those points fair? Can you think of any others that the Warriors need to do? Yeah, I, I think I'd agree 100% with all that. I'm a, dare I say it's um, just trying to keep SJ injury-free. It seemed like that was his most injury-free season in forever, and... Unfortunately, his injuries seem to hit in the final series. But if if he's able to maintain that form, I think even that would be a bigger story than RTS, just because 
yeah, we know how important halves are. Where, where, where do you think Artie should play? I think he, and I know he will, he'll be playing in the centres. Um, I, the, 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 It is really a dilemma because there is an absolute, and I'm completely biased here, but one of the players I've been more excited about than anyone in years is Ali Leatua. Ali so as the nephew of Ali Lawatiti, he's come through the SG ball system. He's far too good for that. He went straight to New South Wales Cup. And then he ended the year playing an NRL game as well. And looking at his confidence in that NRL team, this this kid, honestly, he's, I think he's only 19. He might have recently turned 20. He's a centre, but he is an absolute superstar in the making. And then what do you do uh, with the progress that Adam Pompey's made, especially in defence? Rocco Berry is a big part of our future. So it is really a dilemma. And I know that there's a lot more injuries these days, but... Um, you know, I don't want to deep dive too much into it, but yeah, if Roger surely has one of the centre position comes come up, Ali Lauatua, Lauatua, Rocco Berry, or Adam Pompey has to miss out. Uh, not to mention Ed Cossey missing out on one of the wings if DWZ and Marcello Montoya take those positions. So it is a dilemma. Anything more on this one? Move on to the next club. Yeah, just quick, I think Rocco Berry really came good towards the end of the year. Um, actually showed a lot of. I think he made the New Zealand A's right and. I was a bit skeptical about him because I know he came in with huge raps, but yeah, as you say, it's you're bringing in obviously a top tier player, RTS, who will continue giving you guys momentum. But then you guys have also done a great job bringing through some really good young talents. And you don't want to kind of block their pathway, but yeah, I guess nothing nothing improves players like competition. So it can only be a good thing. Yeah, well said, well said. Uh, next club is the Gold Coast Titans, and I'm hugely excited to see how the Gold Coast Titans go next year. Uh, we'll obviously do this early next year, but I've definitely got them in my top eight, so a bit of spoiler alert there. Uh, the Sydney Morning Herald have written the five things that the Titans need to do uh, to start to challenge for a premiership next year. Number one, get to know Des Hasler. The wacky professor is back in rugby league, and you can guarantee the Titans players are in for a surprise. Number two, figure out the best way to use Jaden Campbell. Campbell is... Far too good a player to be wasted on the bench, but with AJ Brimson at the club, Hasler has a big decision to make in regards to his number one for next year. Number three, a plan to keep David Fafita in the game. Fafita was much improved in 2023. Hasler needs to continue to find a way uh, to get Fafita involved and get value for money out of his monster deal. Number four, find some starch in the pack. So the Titans finished last year as or this year as the second worst team in the competition for post-contact metres. Hasler is notorious for wanting to play off a dominant pack. And lastly, number five, which is to own Southeast Queensland. With the Brisbane Tigers preparing to bid, a bid to enter the competition as the 18th team and the success of the Dolphins' inaugural season, pressure is growing on the Titans to shore up the region's young talent. So just recapping, get to know Des Hasler, figure out the best way to use Jaden Campbell, come up with a plan to keep David Feeder in the game, find some starch in the pack and own Southeast Queensland. Fair points. I'm actually confused that with their forward pack that they are the worst because they've got Moffat Awaker and Tino. Now, my eyeballs are telling me that they're the beasts at contact. Like, Moffat Awaker's an absolute machine, so I'm surprised unless they got nothing off the bench. But unless, yeah, very odd. I think the only other thing is they need to sort out, I know Foran's six, but he's also a little bit injury prone. They do have this issue around Brimson, Campbell. They've got um, the Kiwi who's in Queensland, was the best player in Queensland Cup final. Kinney, I think his name is. And they've got, uh, so they've got Brimson, Kinney. Um, what was the other guy that, oh, Jaden Campbell. So they've got a lot of guys that can play one, even six, and then 14. They've got a lot of just deck chairs that they're moving around at the moment. That would be my only thing. Once they sort out the combination, because that's probably the other thing, they're moving around the players way too much, and I think Dez doesn't really like to do that. He usually sticks solid. So that would be my main thing for the Titans, because I've always been bullish on the Titans. I think they genuinely have a strong team. They just, for some reason, haven't been able to put it together. What's your main thing with them? Uh, yeah, I, I agree with that. I think Des Hasler, with respect to Justin Holbrook, is more likely to take them to the promised land, even though Justin Holbrook, fairly decent coach. Um, actually, I know the answer to this question, but uh, for those that don't, have you ever actually met Des Hasler, Lou? <laughs> 
yeah he uh, he was a dt teacher when i was in year seven and eight and i remember he was he's really one of those engaging guys he kind of he just say so most teachers just stand at the front talk he comes up right to your face and just looks in the eye and starts telling you the 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 essence of uh electronics so yeah that was my anecdote and i know that he, he was actually really good like people would just take the piss and ask him for an autograph and he just go nope and then carry on <laughs> love it brilliant brilliant all right let's move on to the third club uh, that we'll talk about uh, now which is the newcastle knights uh, number one, decide on what they do with Jaden Braley. So the rise of Phoenix Crossland poses a problem for the Knights. The injury-prone Braley is on a deal worth about six hundred fifty grand, but the club are now circling Crossland, who's a free agent uh, from November 1. Uh, sorry, clubs are now circling. Uh, number two, Adam O'Brien extension. The club is in the process of extending the tenure of the coach, who midway through 2023 season was facing the axe. Number three, decide on Dom Young's replacement. With the Englishman bound for the City Roosters, the Knights lose some strike power out wide. There's already talk of potentially moving Dane Gagai to the wing. Uh, number four, help English imports settle in. So the Knights have signed English Jury Kai, Piers Paul and Will Price. Piers Paul is expected to slot straight into the back row as a replacement for Super League Brown, uh, bound Lachlan Fitzgibbon. Number five, design a program to start strong. The Knights don't want to wait until the end of the season to ignite their campaign again. Uh, they need to design their off-season program to ensure that they get out of the blocks quickly. So, as I said, decide on what to do with Jaden Braley, extend Adam O'Brien's contract, decide on Dom Young's replacement, help English imports settle in and design a program to start the season strong. Uh, anything else that you can think of? I'm talking about the, the best player in the league officially, the Daly M, um, because without Kalen Ponga, injury-free, this team is not as half as good as the form at the end of the year suggests so that's my only issue with the knights i if you ever listened to us before i thought they had potentially on paper the best back three maju ponga and of course dom young absolutely rival rivaling penrith in terms of getting off the getting from getting off their line really so to lose dom young and then if Ponga goes down and then what you're replacing with gagai just doesn't really had the same sort of impact does it but kai pierce paul huge addition and massive upgrade really so yeah i think that's probably it ponga needs to stay fit for them that's that's all like you can sort of bundle the rest in his yeah whatever yeah i think that it's time for newcastle to stop hovering around you know where they have been for the last few years and sort of like go on a run and scrape into the eight i think the hunter deserves better and they haven't had it for uh, a, a decade or so now. Uh, the Saifidi brothers are about 27 years old. That's basically your prime for a front rower. It's a, it's a late-stage development position, just like a halfback is. Ponga, you know, he's in there. Jackson Hastings is there. They should they should be targeting top, top six. Whether they get there or not is another story, but, you know, fans deserve to see this team challenge for the top six in my mind. Uh, our next club is... Are the North Queensland Cowboys and their top five things that they need to do is number one, re-sign Tom Dearden. The Queensland Origin representative became a free agent on November 1 or becomes a free agent. The Cowboys need to make sure that he remains in Townsville and he will demand north of 800 grand a season. Wow. Uh, number two, find ways to improve their away record. So the Cowboys won just four of their 12 games on the road this year. The year before, when they made the top four, they won eight uh, on the road. Number three, work on defence. Only the Bulldogs averaged more missed tackles than the Cowboys this year. An average of 39.5 missed tackles per game is a stat that Todd Payton will be trying to improve next season. Number four, retain Kulakefi Finafayaki, I should say. Apologies. Uh, the teenage back rower has attracted plenty of interest from rival codes. Uh, ready to make him offers from November 1. The problem lies now. Uh, number five, how do they fit all their back rowers into the team? So they got they have a uh, Helium Luki, Jeremiah Nenai, and Luciano Leilua are all starting caliber and players on decent money. Throw Finifuaki into the mix and the Cowboys have a problem. So just repeating, re-sign Tom Dearden, find ways to improve their away record, work on their defense, particularly the missed tackles, retain Finifuaki, and how do they fit all those back rowers into the one team? Thoughts on, on this cluster of points? 
Mm, it's yeah, I think the back row, which is their strength, um, and I don't want to butcher his name, so we'll run with the um the fact that I think I think I even said age, I would actually you need to resign the youngster and lower coin and and probably let Luch go. That's probably what I would say for the Cowboys if I was running the place and I'm not, but also, yeah, I'm not sure Dearden's worth that. I know he's a good player, killed in origin, but is he worth that much? Who's paying that for him? Uh, he's Chris Keating if Chris Keating was playing today. <laughs> Chris Keating wasn't a bad player, but I know, exactly. I know what you're trying to say. It wasn't a bad player, but yeah, the, yeah, like uh, that's – Maybe a bit harsh, but anyway, look, we'll move on before I dig myself. Chris Keating played the grand final. I think he was he wasn't a bad player, but I think that's the whole issue is that you're giving money to you're giving top tier money to a guy that's yeah. I think let's say Chad Townsend, he's surely retiring soon. So is Dearden ready to steer a team? That's almost like giving Tanner Boyd. 750. I don't think T- Tanner Boyd, no offense to and he's a decent player, but he's not ready to steer a team around like that. And you've got other guys like Jerome Luai on you know, begging for that sort of cash. No one in their right mind should be taking Tom Dearden over Jerome Luai. That's just me. Yeah, well said, well said. All right, so let's round up the podcast coming up on the hour mark. Uh, we've only got a couple of games, a few games this weekend. Uh, so we're the final of the Pacific Bowl and the Pacific Cup. Uh, so I want to get your tips on who you think will win and why. Uh, so the big one for the weekend in the Southern Hemisphere is in Hamilton, New Zealand. That is a repeat of the game we just saw in Melbourne. Kangaroo, or the Kiwis taking on the Kangaroos. Can you see New Zealand getting an upset or are you once bitten, twice shy from your tip last week? So, guess what? New Zealand to win. Oh, love it. I'm going, I'm going it. for it. Uh, look, uh, and, and I know I'm going to jump the gun here because we haven't talked about it yet, but I'm also back in Tongarin. I think let's just – let's right some wrongs, boys, And because um, I didn't put the bet on this week, but I will put it on this week because I know the odds will be even bigger. You know, I'm going to follow your lead and I'm going to stick to my exact same tips because there's three games that are the same opposition two weeks in a row and I'm going to tip the same teams that I tipped last week despite the fact that I learned a lesson with the PNG game, which brings me to that game actually. Uh, PNG host Fiji in the Pacific Bowl final. Who have you got for this one? Yeah, like I know I've sounded dumbfounded before because I can't remember even picking Fiji. Uh, I'm actually going to go for PNG this time. Um, that'll be my early change because... Law of averages, there has to be some. Actually, if I pick PNG, then all three teams lost last week would win. Okay, let's go for PNG. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so I should have mentioned that I'm sticking with my tip of the kangaroos for the previous game, but I'm going to stick with my tip for the Kumuls, the PNG Kumuls for this game. Um, I think Fiji surely will now go into that one favourite. Uh, which let's round out our episode with Tonga versus England. I know you've just said you're backing Tonga in. Um, you confident about that, or are we just winging it? What? No, nah, not confident at all. It's a, it's just a my bold, bold prediction of the week, along with um, New Zealand. Like I'm really impressed with Mikey Lewis. I, I forgive me, I haven't watched that much Super League in forever, but he's really like a silky, like he's a good runner. And but yeah, I just think Tonga Tongan pride. Should, they should at least get a result. As you said, there's a lot riding on this this whole series. And if Tonga just lays a goose egg, that's just disappointing. Yeah, I think they actually get their captain back next week. So what happens to Mikey Lewis? I'm, I'm not too sure. I know Jack Wellsby's been paying at fullback, but George Williams uh, returns, and he's the English captain. So he's been suspended for a couple of weeks. So... Uh, it's actually really good, with the exception of George Williams and, say, Sam Tompkins. It's really good to see this next crop of um, spine positions of England starting to to come through. And they're stronger than anyone in the Southern Hemisphere might give credit for. Um, so, yeah, the future for the English national team is bright because these players are still very, very young and they're killing it. Uh, I'm going to go with um, with Tonga, <laughs> but with absolutely no confidence. I'd like to see them uh, come away with a win. Um 
All right. Any any last messages for anyone listening out there? Uh, keep listening. Hopefully, uh, you'll hear me talk about my multi getting up on the weekend. <laughs> well, that seems like a great place to leave it. And as always, we'll see you on the other side.